and welcome to Stacia Adjacent, podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford, and joined as always by my friend, my co-host, my Cypriot buddy. Hey, Stu Lennon, how are you today? I'm in fine form, thank you, Justin. How are you doing? I'm doing actually really wonderful. I was doing the show notes this morning, looking at an absolutely gorgeous sunrise over the mountain in front of me. What a lovely day. Wow, what a way to start the day. So rural life is suiting you then? It, it is when I'm not having to chase the chickens off my front lawn, but that's a whole different story. But well, why do you chase them off? What have they done to you? Well, Coco needed to go. Uh, Coco <laughs> and chickens. Uh, she's, how, she, how does Coco feel about chickens? <laughs> well, she's on a fish-only diet because she has protein allergies. So <laughs> we don't want the chickens with Coco. Okay. Way too much information. Wow. Let's let's move on to something productive. How did the checklist conversation go? I think it was a good one last week. It was. It was. I found it very useful. I mean, I've got to admit, I have not done as much as I would like, but um, I've I've bought the book, which, as everybody uh, who has made Jeff Bezos a billionaire knows, that's that's half the the battle. You once you've given Jeff some money, you're you're nearly there. You've nearly learned it. But mm -hmm. no, I'm I'm hoping to read that next. And I've identified uh, some things that I definitely need to do some checklists around. Insurance is one, mm -hmm. because I've got sort of lots of different insurance policies that I need to keep on top of. Uh, it's one of those ones, you, you must have things like this, but about six times a year, this bites me in the backside. <laughs> Where I'm thinking, oh, oh, insurance for, for Nero's Nights, that must be due soon. Mm -hmm. That must be due. And suddenly there's a reminder in my email saying, you know, renew now or be blown to smithereens or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And I keep, I keep thinking, I've just got to have a checklist. I've got to have this calendar. I've got to have this all controlled. And that's, that's going to be my first target. What about you? Did you, uh, did you get any sort of inspiration from last week? I certainly did. I'm back at work this week and sitting down and thinking about things, certainly reflecting on the edit as I was doing that. There are definitely a couple of work processes I need to document and do some checklists for. There are things that, they are processes I know, but they are complicated. They are error prone if you don't know exactly what you're doing and don't think through all the details. And so I thought about this and I thought, you know, this is the type of task that a checklist would A, help me, but B, it would help anybody else that may have to do the same task. And so, yeah, I've got a couple of to-do lists of sit down and work through that process when I'm all caught up because, <laughs> you know, caught up, that's the thing. Uh, but when I'm a little bit more caught up and really develop some process around that and make sure that all of those details are in a simple checklist. So, yeah. It was a good episode. I've, I, I think it was one that really left me with a walk away to do something about it. So I was pretty happy. Yep, me too. Excellent stuff. All right. What's your tool of the week this week, Stu? Uh, my tool of the week is, well, it, I've written very uh, pompously in the show notes. I've written a perambulation, uh, by which I mean a walk. Um, I walk every morning, uh, as I know you do. Um, I've, my dogs are perhaps a little more keen on the concepts than yours. So... Um, <laughs> I go out and do, what do I do? I do anywhere from say a mile to three miles. Um, obviously I live in a, a very warm sort of clement part of the world. So that's quite easy. And, uh, just, just today I used it. I was feeling a little bit, 
Uh, overwhelmed might be overstating it, but I know that there were some things that have been sitting on my sort of next card for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't getting as much done as I wanted to. I, I was, frankly, I was just a little bit grumpy. I was in a funk, as PG Woodhouse would have said. And I just used the walk to, oh, this is all sounds so terribly new age, which is not me, but I, to be kind to myself, just to have a little word with myself and say, look, you know, there's a, there's a whole load of things that uh, need to be done. There's a whole load of time in which to do them. <laughs> you don't need to panic. You don't need to put yourself under all this pressure. And I don't know, just got things in, in perspective. And I find a walk is brilliant for that. That's the sort of key sort of function of, of a walk is just to let me get a little bit connected to the world and just be a little bit nicer to myself. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I'm I'm jealous of your dogs that like to walk. Uh, my walk halfway through with the dog turns into CrossFit, uh, mostly because I'm carrying a 16 pound dog on the way back. <laughs> well, what about you? What did you uh, What did you find handy this week? All right, I, I know we've talked about it a lot, um, but the analog setup from Ugmunk. I found it again in a box. I found my spare cards, which I needed. Uh, and went and ordered another year's worth of cards, which is tells you how much I love that system. But sitting down, getting back to work, the process of making that simple to-do list on the front of the card every day just added so much clarity. And, you know, this week has been a rough week for me. Uh, some stuff going on in my personal life, as well as back to work. I felt the organizing was just so good and I was particularly productive. And I, I realized that I had dropped sort of the daily organization when I was moving, when I was packing, it just became big task, big task, big task. And it, the overwhelm because I couldn't plan for it. The ability to sit and get that clarity at the beginning of the day is amazing. And, you know, whether it's analog, whether it's a notebook, whether it's any just plain dollar store index card, I strongly recommend somebody go through that process and, and just give it a shot because man, the clarity that you get from that bit of a pep talk to myself as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. That's, that's what happened from my walk. I came back, did my today card, uh, put seven things on it. Um, and as I speak to you now, uh, it's, uh, Six have been ticked off and the seventh is scheduled for, well, two and a half hours from now. So, you know, I'm just, just the ability to, as you say, distill down to, this is what I'm actually going to do. Not all the things I have to do. This is what I'm actually going to do today and get it done. Mm -hmm. It's so comforting. It really is. All right. I have to ask what penny you're running this week's do. Oh, pen this week. Well, um, I've got to admit, I've still. Um, the Lamy 2000 has got a fantastic ink reservoir, so <laughs> it's still going. Um, but alongside it now, um, I have uh, my little Pelican uh, 205, which is a uh, two, sort of designates the size. It means it's mm -hmm. a dinky one. It's a pocket pen. Uh, 05 means that it's got silver colored rather than gold colored um, fitments. And um, it's the Star Ruby. So it's a sort of, uh, it's like a, well, it's a ruby color. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm using the same 
name ink. So Pelican Star Ruby ink. It was a limited edition, I think, two years ago. Yeah. It was the last time I hosted the Pelican Hub uh, was the year of the Star Ruby. And the people that didn't show up, I've got more boxes of that ink than I ever need. Uh, I've, I've got like four or five bottles of it. Well, lucky you. It's nice. Well, it is, but it's a, it's a little hot, it's a little pink and hard to use for work. Yeah, I see your point. Uh, but yeah, um, I love that. Uh, I, I was a host for the Vancouver Pelican Hub that year and then COVID happened and we didn't have any more. So, uh, disappointing time, but that was a, that was a fun time. I had about uh, 60 people in Vancouver show up to celebrate that fountain pen enthusiasts in a bar. It was actually a beautiful whiskey bar. Um, cool. lots of fun. Uh, so I love, I love that little pen and I love that ink. So great choice. And um, what about you? What are you using this week? I, I found my fountain pens and inks too. Ah, oh, there we go. There's a whole day lost. <laughs> oh. It was. A, and you know, the first thing that I actually saw and pulled out and inked up was really inspired by you. I saw my Lamy 2000, oh. which is an EF. Oh, well, it's, it's a Lamy EF, which means, you know, sure. It's a broad Japanese nip because <laughs> Lamy doesn't do EF very well. Uh, filled with a Mont Blanc Royal Blue. I love the Mont Blanc inks. I think they are completely underrated and great value yeah. for money. Yeah, they are. Absolutely love writing with this. And if you think you've got a big ink reservoir with your broad, I'm going to be writing with this fill of ink probably for another year because EF and Lamy 2000 ink reservoir, that, that, that goes for a while. <laughs> yeah, I think I think my Lamy is a medium, but even so, uh, yeah, it's going to go through stuff a lot faster than your knitting needle will. Uh, pretty much. Uh, but lovely pen. And thank you for think making me think about that. So when I saw it, I just jumped on it right away because I love this pen. Well, obviously next week we expect to hear you talking about a Pelican 205. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to find one of those out. I'm not sure what box oh, yeah. it is. Yes. Ah, uh, you know, that's an hour, that's a day lost. If you start digging into your fountain pens. Oh yes. Happens to me all the time. Right. So what are we talking about today, Justin? All right. We're going to talk about embracing uncertainty. Ooh. I just went through a big move. I got some personal stuff going on in my life that really has kicked me into the uncertainty territory. And I, I sort of wanted to go through this and talk it out loud and Sure. When life throws curves at you, how do you deal with it? That's really the question that we're kind of looking at, because if it's happening for me, I'm sure it's certainly happened for you that I know of in the years that we've known each other. I wanted to see if we can come up with some ideas that other people, A, realize they're not on their own, and B, may get something out of it. The big one, the last month of moving has been crazy. One of the things that I realized is I like to rely on myself when I'm relying on other people that I don't have any relationship with, you know, for me, that's movers, packers, cleaners, carpet cleaners, window cleaners, rubbish removal, all of these people that will be doing one bit of work for me, often for relatively small dollar figures. But my schedule is heavily dependent on those. 
Would they show up when they said they would? Would they do the job that they said they would? It created uncertainty because I had to rely on other people. And, you know, I'm sort of a planner in my mind. I've got this process, this GTD, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. And certainly embracing this uncertainty is challenging. <laughs> uh, the, the real one that I, I found was my moving truck. So imagine, because, you know, we're in North America and I have too much stuff, a large 53-foot moving truck, big semi. The driver had told me he was going to be at my house at a certain time. He didn't come. He showed up about an hour and a half later. And that time waiting, I was like a cat on hot bricks. I was very, very troubled about it. I was, the uncertainty was very troubling for me. So how do we embrace uncertainty, Stu? Mm. Well, I've got a couple of anecdotes that I suppose inform the way that I, I think about it. So. The first one, I actually, I, I put down in the show notes, but I think I put it in the wrong place. But um, back in the year 2000, remember when all our computers were going to blow up and they didn't? My life blew up that year. Mm. So uh, my, my dad passed away, which, you know, let's, let's be honest, it's not unexpected. You reach a certain age and, and your parents pass away. But my dad was, was 59 when he died. So taken too young. Definitely. And not wholly unrelated, but not related either. I lost my job and my job had me in a foreign country. I was in, I was in Hungary. I was in Budapest mm -hmm. uh, and it provided everything for me. So it provided my car, it provided my home. Everything was tied to this job uh, and it was gone overnight. So I wasn't deported, <laughs> but I clearly had to get out quick. Mm -hmm. My life went from, I, I suppose I was a high flyer of corporate Cobra. You know, so I was living the dream hashtag to, uh, being out of work in debt, pretty much homeless, trying to, to make a new life sort of overnight. And yeah, that was challenging. I can imagine. Uh, but I think probably <laughs> what it, what it taught me was, uh, that actually I responded pretty well to that in, in many ways, because my choices had become restricted, you know, I wasn't agonizing about, you know, shall I do this or shall I do that? Or, you know, you know, the sort of first world challenges that we face, it was okay. I need to find a way to make some money to make rent. And then from there, I need to make some money to make food. And then from there, I'll worry about whether I can get a t-shirt on. So, uh, that, that kind of got me focused, got me going. And I ended up, uh, I worked as barman. That was my, <laughs> that was my initial response. I'll go to a bar. <laughs> uh, from there, I, I ended up setting up a company and set, well, setting up a couple of companies, uh, both of which done okay. One of which I still, I still own, mm -hmm. uh, and the other that I, I ended up selling and, and making some money. So that six month, because I suppose six months later, my marriage broke up that whole sort of upheaval in my life. Uh, we undoubtedly would have contributed to that, but I, I suspect that, well, I know actually that the marriage was the wrong marriage anyway, both for me and, and the other party. So mm -hmm. out of all that adversity came, came a sort of positive move forward. And I often reflect and think, well, actually had those things not gone wrong, 
would it have taken me longer to extricate myself from situations that I should have extricated myself from? I think it may have. That, that change was forced upon me, but it was undoubtedly a positive change. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I will concede it didn't feel like it at the time. <laughs> what I took away from that um, as, a, as a younger guy was that, you know, I, it sounds very trite, but, you know, things happen for a reason. Is not something that I throw around willy-nilly at every situation, but I, there is part of me that says, you know, things do happen for a reason. Or, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. You know, that type of sort of oldie-worldie um, pop psychology, pop philosophy stuff, I think does have a place. <laughs> the second sort of thing I would add to it is that my wife, uh, the current Mrs. Lennon, as I call her, um, uh, she suffers from catastrophic thinking syndrome. Oh, dear. Whereby, and now this is partly, uh, I think, her character. It's partly to do with things that have happened in her life before. And it's partly to do with, uh, Sicilians are like this. You know, I'm, I'm sorry to label you all. You're a wonderful island. Um, but Sicilians do like a bit of chat about death. And, you know, they, they did. Oh, Catastrophic thinking syndrome is that uh, when um, when she was suffering particularly badly, and there was a lot of hormone involved in this as well, she wouldn't have a shower while I was out of the house because in her mind, she was picturing a scenario where I would be out, she would slip, smash her head, and essentially bleed to death in the shower with no one able to help her. That's a pretty morbid thought, isn't it? Yeah. And that was kind of happening to her several times a day. She was thinking that way. Those are real, real concerns that people have, you know, that... Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we kind of take it lightly, but, uh, you know, certainly that is a very serious and debilitating challenge for her. So... Oh, yeah, it was. Oh, I hope she's uh, doing better now. Yeah, yeah. No, we 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 got to the point of, um, I mean, first of all, I was completely flummoxed by this. I had no idea what had happened to my wife, who, um, as far as I was concerned, was suddenly just completely illogical. And and you know, I I could sort of say, well, on Wednesday she was logical. She wasn't on Friday. So what happened? Was it Thursday? But. As, as we sort of worked through it together, I just became aware that A, these fears were very real. You know, that they weren't sort of manufactured. She was genuinely very frightened. And B, that it was, it was something that we could approach rationally. And we, we went through and we would sit there and say, okay, look, so what things could happen? What would, could be the consequence of, you know, action A or action B? And how would we cope with consequence c or d and just just talk it through and and again you get back to that sort of pop psychology and you go well what's the worst that can happen and all the time still now (laughs) we kind of have a a to and fro on this where where i'll see her getting stressed or or tensed i think similar to you it's it's about control Mm -hmm. and you know the person's supposed to be here at nine they're not here at nine what's going on and and i'll say Margaret, what's, what's the worst that can happen? And the worst that can happen is a person doesn't turn up. Mm-hmm. So then what happens? Well, 
in the case of it being the moving truck, nothing else is going to happen because no moving truck, all the other things are going to be delayed. And there's not a thing that anyone can do about it. Mm -hmm. In which case, we'll just have to reschedule everything, which is a pain in the backside and has domino effects, but it's not a car crash. Uh, The worst that can happen is that your whole day, stroke week, I suppose month in theory, is derailed. And we go through that exercise a lot of the time because often I find that uh, um, for, for Margaret, it's about, as you say, that control thing. And I think it would be for me, apart from the fact I'm trying to help her. So I'll say, well, hang on. What if we don't put the dishwasher on? What's going to happen? Okay, so we can just put it on later. Or another one will be the dogs. If we're out with friends and oh, well, the dogs have been on their own for six hours. Okay, well, what's the worst that can happen? You know, we, we leave our dogs with water. We leave them with places to sleep. We leave We even leave them with air conditioning from time to time. (laughs) So, um, you know, nothing bad is going to happen. There may be a, um, shall we say, an accident on the floor. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, if that's the worst that happens, that's okay. And and that's very effective for for her. And I think for me as well, because it helps me just look at things a little bit more rationally than perhaps I do, because we all get het up and, you know, fret and, sort of so involved with something that we, we give it this incredible amount of importance that actually probably most things aren't incredibly important. You know, we're not in the trenches fighting a war. There aren't people shooting guns at us. Our problems are, by any reasonable uh, stretch, not as bad as they could be. It's a certainly a good point to really relax and think about it and look at what those consequences are. It's certainly for me, a challenge in productivity thinking is that, you know, I have a time for this. I have a time for that. Uh, I was scheduled for a phone call with my boss the other day and that ran late and that put pressure on this and that. And, you know, certainly the, there is a need for flexibility. You know, we can't, when we get into productive thinking, we can't just look at our time blocks as, as gold. We can't assume that everything is going to work out like that. And, and one of the other things that I've sort of learned and I'm sort of thinking about, particularly at the moment when there are some things going on, some family health challenges at the moment that I just have to trust the system. Mm. And, and that's really hard. You know, there's a long-term challenge that we've got going, I'm just going to have to trust that the system is going to fix things. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, it's, it's uncertainty. I certainly don't want to go down the, what's the worst that can happen thought on that case. Sure. But, you know, just, I mean, I, I think, you know, with all of these things, you know, we do, you do go down those, those, um, thought processes just because you have to, I mean, you probably do it in your own time and, mm-hmm. uh, in different places, but it's that lack of, uh, I suppose I've been told that this is a very male thing. And I don't know if that's a sexist comment or not, that I'm about to make if it is, <laughs> I do apologize. I intend it to be, but I'm told that men have this tendency, this over overdrive to always want to fix things mm-hmm. when actually perhaps what they need to do is just accept things a little more. Certainly my wife is forever telling me. I'm not telling you something because I want you to act upon it. I'm telling you something because I want to talk about it. I'm like, okay, why, why would you talk about it? How has that helped anything? 
trust me, it helps. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. It's, it's that ability to, you know, whether it be karma or the world or, or, you know, just nature to run its course, you have to let go of demanding certain outcomes because you, you can't control them. And that's very, very difficult to do. I think I was, um, the last situation that springs to mind was my wife was, was not very well. She had a bad back and everything. Uh, she was confined to bed. So it was, you know, bedpans and broomsticks and let's, you know, let's learn some new life skills for Stuart. And of course, all of this was happening in the midst of COVID, which was a little bit inconvenient <laughs> because mm-hmm. uh, my normal solution to this sort of thing would be nurse, find me a nurse immediately. Bring me a nurse, nurse, come here, deal with all these things. Um, but nobody could, nobody could come into the house. So I learned to do all sorts of things and I had to, um, you know, just focus on the things that I could get right, you know, make sure she was eating right, make sure she was comfortable, make sure I was doing everything I can to, to help her out. Knowing that I couldn't do the things that, you know, needed fix. I couldn't fix her back. Yeah. You know, I needed to sort of have doctors and surgeons and stuff do all that. Um, and yeah, that's oh, very, very challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think I grew through it. He said, yeah, I think. I'm sort of hoping I grow through this one as well, because, uh, yeah, I've got about a year of, uh, different processes and treatments and, you know, you're talking about COVID. Well, we're still dealing with some of that with our health system out here. Mm, sure. That's, it's challenging, but yeah, I think, you know, really looking at it for me, I've just got to trust the system. I've got to relax. I think I am probably very much like you when you were talking about the needing to fix things, you know, if something's broken. I just want to get in, you know, whether it's with a tool, whether it's with a process or, you know, whether it's, as I said, with my credit card last time, throw money at the problem to fix something. Sure. This, this is something, you know, uncertainty is something that you can't necessarily fix. And just even acknowledging that this is something I can't do anything about right now, Mm -hmm. I think is very empowering. Yep. And perspective too, I think is incredible because. Margaret's, um, back injury, um, she was, um, we had her in this, we, I had her in the spare bedroom, uh, because that had, that was the easiest door for the, the ambulance guys to get a stretcher through. My house is on, uh, it's not on stilts, but it's raised. Mm. Um, so getting, getting big sort of medical stretcher, they're enormous, these modern stretchers, <laughs> getting them through doorways is, is really quite challenging and upstairs and all that stuff. So. She was in, in a spare bedroom and I then sort of shifted the house around her and, and got a TV to her. And, um, the first thing is I, I discovered was that I had the strength of a hundred men. I didn't know that. So, um, at one point, actually, while she was in hospital, she was in the hospital. I was here on my own, just, just with the dog. Uh, at one point I moved a couch from our living room to, to the office. Now that's down a flight of stairs. Uh, down's easier than up. Uh, to this day. <laughs> yeah, but to this day, I couldn't tell you how I manhandled the couch downstairs on my own. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> I, know, I had no idea how I did it. It was just, I, it was, it was something to do in lieu of being in control, I think. But the other thing was that uh, the consultancy business was losing clients because it was COVID. Uh, and, you know, uh, some clients were, were going out of business. They, they were unable to trade. And so... Because of what was going on in, in my life and in the bedroom, just, you know, to my left, as it were, I was able to sort of go, okay, look, you know, I understand where you are. That's, don't worry about it. I'm, 
you know, don't worry about those invoices or that, whatever it was, I was able to, to respond to that in a much more measured way, I think, than I would have if I hadn't been in crisis. Because I, I was, you know, okay, so I'm going to have a little bit less money from this client or, you know, I'm going to have no more money from that client or, do you know what? There's worse things happening in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For example, just, just around the corner where my wife is, is banging on the floor because you need to drink your water and you can't go and get it for itself. So it, it did lend me a great sense of perspective, which I, I hope that I've carried with me and, and the ability to sort of not sweat the small stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I can't help but thinking, uh, do you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Oh, I, I used to run a training company. We used to rely on Maslow. <laughs> you know, uncertainty really, I think if, if, if I'm looking at it, it is, you're looking at your current level of wherever you are on that mm-hmm. and anything that threatens the level or two below that is where your uncertainty comes in. It's where the stress comes in. You really are going to have to step up for the show note tonight because there are people listening going, what is he talking about? <laughs> All right, Maslow, uh, let's, uh, it's been a while. So <laughs> Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, God, I'm going to go into professor mode. I do apologize. Uh, this is too many years of, of school, you know, and too many degrees that come into this. Maslow has five levels of needs, uh, starting with physiological, moving up to self-actualization. And basically as you progress through these, you are allowed to focus on things that are much more hippy dippy. Is that a right word? No. Um, <laughs> but you, you, you go down from, um, the, the things that are crucial, the, the needs that are almost animal and go up to morality and creativity. It starts at the bottom with physiological, which is breathing, food, water, sex, sleep, you know, excretion, you know, all those things that we need on a very, very basic part. So all of a sudden, if you're dealing with health issues, you're going from wherever you are above that, you're going right down to the bottom of, of, of fear. Uh, safety is the next level. It's security, body, employment, resources, morality, family, health, property. This is where you get to if, uh, let's say you have to let an employee go. All of a sudden, somebody that has been a very, very good person working on, you know, bettering themselves now is threatened at a level of safety and that can trigger certainly a stronger reaction. The, the more that these lower levels are threatened, the bigger the reaction. Love and belonging is the next one. That is family, friendships, uh, sexual intimacy. Esteem is the fourth level. That's when you've got everything met before you. You've got your friends, you've got your family, you've got security, financial security, you're healthy, you've got a place to live. Now you can spend time in this area looking at self-esteem, confidence, achievement, respect. And then finally, you look into this top level, which he calls self-actualization, which is morality, creativity, spontaneity, problem-solving, lack of prejudice, acceptance of facts. And I think that's where, you know, hopefully for most of us, we're spending more of our time in self-actualization and the esteem building 
sections and everything below is pretty, pretty solid. You know, you don't generally have to worry about it, but it certainly uncertainty certainly can threaten us. And the last thing you're worried about is your morality, your spontaneity and your problem solving when you're worried about where you're going to live or where your next paycheck's coming from, or even worse, you know, where are you, are you going to sleep? Where are your, are you dealing with a potential death in the family or yourself? You know, there's, there's a big part of Maslow that I think is relatable to uncertainty. All right. As a training guy, how'd I do? Yeah, very, very good. I mean, I think it's spot on. It's ultimately we have the luxury of, uh, involving ourselves in in huge philosophical discussions. We think we don't, but I mean, that's what Twitter is, is, is people getting aerated about, I mean, the oddest of things. Um, I'm, I'm going to sound extraordinarily British now, but I, I was listening to Stephen Fry, uh, <laughs> talking the other day about, uh, Jonathan Swift and Gulliver's travels. So, um, you are a book club from the Brits. If you haven't read Gulliver's travels, then go and read it. It is some of the most biting, satirical writing that you will ever find. Hmm. I haven't read it in years. I might have to dig that out again. Well, Stephen Fry reminded me of this, of the fantastic sort of the, the first place that Gulliver travels to is Lilliput, where the Lilliputians are very small, tiny little people. Um, and he's sort of laughing at their size. But there's this wonderful bit where he's, he's meeting with the chief one of the chiefs of, of the Lilliput nation. Uh, and they're talking about war. And there's been a war raging in Lilliput for hundreds of years. And it's, it's between the two factions, one of whom believe that a boiled egg should be eaten from the sharp end. Uh, that's the, that's why you should cut the top off and eat the egg from that end. Whereas the other faction are absolutely rigid in the fact that clearly you must start at the blunt end and you must chop that off. <laughs> and of course, our, our hero Gulliver laughs at the absurdity that, that people would fight over this. Um, and the, the Lilliput chief responds with, well, you know, I mean, do you have any wars where you come from? And, and Gulliver goes on to explain the, the, the great Christian wars between the Catholics and the Protestants. Mm. And of course, all the Lilliputians just collapse laughing. You're having a war about that. About whether you should have icons in churches or, or whether the body and blood of Christ. But utterly stupid. And it's just a, it's just a brilliant observation. And that's, that's, if you like, is the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is when we're all obsessing about these things, which we think are terribly important. And they are important. I'm not trying to belittle them in any way. But when it comes to whether you've got somewhere to sleep, whether you've got enough to eat, whether you've got shelter from the weather, these things melt away instantly. No, no, nobody worried about whether they can feed their family is going to be involved in a discussion about the morality of war. Mm. That's what it teaches you. Yes. And when something goes wrong, when, when you're, you know, as, as I was then, you know, just don't get me wrong. Uh, there's many, many people got a lot worse than me, but there were times when I was, I was sitting here thinking, wow, this is, this is where you learn what life is about. <laughs> the nearest and dearest needs me to, to do everything for. Her. And my job now 
is to just just hold it together and make sure that I keep doing those things. And um, and yeah, I, I, I did. She survived to, to her great surprise. And mine to a certain extent. I mean, I fed her and everything. So I think those those types of curveballs or you know obstacles that life throws at you ultimately are positive. Don't feel like it at the time, but it certainly, I think, deepened my relationship with my wife, mm -hmm. made me appreciate what I have, um, made me realize the importance of cherishing her, made me a little bit more careful about her back, because I don't want to go through that again. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, that, that sort of hierarchy, we, we do, we are, most people listening to this podcast are very, very fortunate and, and are not at that sort of bottom level. Um, of needs, um, but are somewhere higher up. Uh, but I think it's always worth remembering uh, where we are and, and you know, being grateful for what we have. Uh, most definitely, most definitely. And I think trying to look through situations uh, for uncertainty and and come up with a way to embrace those mm. is is sure. a way to realize. You know, even looking at that framework, and I hadn't thought about Maslow in a few years, but. Um, just, just thinking about that and going, yeah, this is where the threat level is, and I get it, and that's part of the uncertainty is these basic needs are been threatened, and that's where that feeling of uncertainty comes from. Interesting. The things, this is like therapy, Stu. <laughs> well, I, we're at that age, I think, aren't we, Justin, where suddenly everything is a bit like therapy. This is true. <laughs> a grumpy old people shouting at the internet. Absolutely. We, we can't work out today, listeners, whether to be angry at Apple or Google. I, I think both are in the frame at the moment. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at my fancy new monitor. Uh, Google gets my vote today. <laughs> Apple can do no wrong for a minute or two. Ah, well, that'll soon change. Uh, that will, that will. I, I'm getting a, I think I talked about it on the show last week, getting the new iPad for my wife. The iPad mini uh, that is showing up tomorrow. And I have oh, a horrible sucks. feeling that once I see it, there'll be another one of these in, in, in the order queue very, very quickly. I, I've got to say, um, while we go on our Apple tangent, um, I'm almost certain that whatever route um, my, my Apple buying goes, Apple buying? I make it sound as I'm buying fruit. The iPad mini just is, I mean, I think everybody is saying this, but it's so much my type of tool. Mm -hmm. I, the idea that it's handheld and I mean, literally in one hand with an Apple pencil in the other, so I could write notes on it. Oh, I know. So that's just the best idea. Mm -hmm. I could use it as a kind of Kindle replacement as well. Okay. Yeah. All right. I like that. But it also has all that power and functionality of a, of essentially a full blown computer. Okay. Yeah. I can really see, see the attraction of that. And for me, it would also enable me to to go mini on the phone, mm. which, as we've discussed, is, is is my sort of instinctive direction. So I think that might be the way that I go. But uh, because of uh, Apple supply chain and the way it works, I won't really have to make a decision for a month or two. So I may end up just waiting and and putting this decision into next year when you know everybody's had the thirteens for a while. The 14 is coming. We'll know then whether there's going to be another mini. Cause I could always buy a mini then. You know? mm -hmm. I don't know. 
I don't know, but I do like the look of that little iPad. It looks quite the tool. Ah, uh, yes, I'm, I'm excited to see it, and uh, I'm going to help my wife set it up, I think <laughs> is the uh, appropriate way. Yeah, that's it. Your generosity knows no bounds. Shortly before, I, I never see it again because it's gone somewhere with her. And I see it from the other side of the couch as I'm looking at her surfing away and reading and going, huh, can't do that with mine. It's too big, too heavy. I need a place to put it. Mm, yeah, well, yeah. Or you might, you might just find that she goes, yeah, it's fine. It's like my other one. And you'll just, just, it'll just gradually become a Justin device slowly, but surely. <laughs> no, she's good. She's going to need it. Uh, I, I bought it for her because, uh, She's, she's going to have some time in a chair, right? So, uh, oh, yeah. you know, this is going to be for her to consume videos and stuff like that on. So there's a reason for it, but anyway, um, cool. Any takeaways from uncertainty? Um, yeah, look, it, uncertainty is by its definition, I think unsettling and I've got better at it. I mean, partially because of the way that I've lived my life where I've, I've moved country very frequently and that that's quite unsettling. So I've learned to lean into that a little bit, but it, for me, the takeaway is approach uncertainty with the right mindset. Look to what it's going to teach you. Look to what you can learn from it. Look to how this is going to make things better because life is what happens while other people are making plans. Mm. Very true. I, and good takeaway too. I am very much the same way I'm thinking. I, I'm thinking that I need to relax into uncertainty, you know, just accept sometimes that there is nothing I can do, but I'm still okay. You know, uh, it's hard. The uncertainty, generally the stress for me comes because I feel that I have a need to control things around me. And sometimes just letting that go and realizing that there's nothing I can do and I just have to accept things and trust processes and trust that other things are going to happen. I, it cuts down the stress level. It em helps me embrace the uncertainty a little bit. Where can people find us on the internet, Stu? Uh, well, you can usually find me uh, on Twitter at Stu Lennon or um, Instagram. I think Stuart.Lennon.587. There's a catchy, catchy handle for you. Um, or you can find me at StuartLennon.com or Nero'sNotes.co.uk where I sell a variety of Excellent stationery. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? You can find me at justintwyford.com. That's a little bit about myself and some thoughts that I'm getting together about embracing a new life in the middle of nowhere. You can also find my writing when I get there on stationery at writeexperience.com. You can find both of us, stationeryjason.com, and you'll find Twitter links to Stu and myself in there. Stu is at Stu Lennon on Twitter. I'm at JJ Twyford. If you got any questions, comments, you can feel free to email us stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. Please take a moment, like, and review our us, this podcast on your podcast catcher of choice. We really appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues because, you know, hopefully if you're into the productivity mindset, other people, you know, are as well. Our next topic is going to be an interesting one. It's going to be a deep dive into working stuff out in a journal. Is it new age nonsense or is it a valuable tool? I'm looking forward to that one. Until next time, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.